We've been there 10,000 years by shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, a glimpse of heaven we're talking about because um, Scripture only gives us glimpses of certain things about heaven. Certain things are, as we've talked about, uh, there are certain things that are pretty concrete and pretty established, and we've spent the first two series of the series going through that about our views into heaven from Isaiah 6 and Revelation 5 and um, talking about the new Jerusalem which is pretty well spelled out in Revelation 21 and 22. Now we're going to go into our third one which is what will it be like or what will we be like and that's where we go from the more concrete information that the Bible gets to the more inductive so it gives us clues in scripture, but it doesn't spell it out. You know, we've got walls made of gold and streets made of gold and foundations. It doesn't do that with us in that way. You know, what are we going to look like or uh, do exactly? Uh, it gives us hints. It gives us some things. And so we move a little bit more into the inductive tonight to, to kind of see those. And so more scripture to kind of pull from the, those areas. We're going to talk about uh, maybe some other miscellaneous things as we get towards the end and, and leave some, uh, some good things for next week as well. There have been a couple major questions um, that I was asked last week just to kind of clarify to make sure we understand. And so I thought I would go ahead and take five minutes and do that. And that was the timeline because a little bit confusing about the timeline. And it is a little bit confusing and people argue about the timeline. That's one of the things Christians love to do is argue about the timeline. But as we're teaching, as my conviction of what we're doing and where we're going is, um, again, what, what's called a premillennial viewpoint. Um, that there, when I teach, if you come and, and you can see, I, I take the aspect from teaching of what's called a historical, grammatical, literal method. And that means I, I take it pretty literally, but not to the point of letterism. So if I were to sit there, if this were April, and I were to say, and I come in and we were inside and there weren't windows there. And I came inside and I said it was raining cats and dogs outside. What would you think I mean? Um, you wouldn't think I meant literal furry animals are falling from the sky. But you wouldn't think if you walked outside that it would be clear with no clouds. And uh, you would think that I meant it was raining really hard, right? It's a, it was literally raining, but I'm using a figure of speech to talk about how it's raining or the method of its raining. And so we have figures of speech that go to a literal referent. It really is raining, um, but it's raining cats and dogs, as that's our figure of speech for meaning it's really raining hard. Uh, or we have a frog in our throat or something like that, you know. Um, and, and, but but we, the basis is that there is literally something there to be talking about. It's not just some, you know, I'm talking about it's just kind of gloomy outside in my spirit. No, it's gloomy outside in reality in some aspect. And so as we look at this and we look at heaven and we see these things in the New Jerusalem as we went through them, we took those literally that there really is going to be a city 1,400 miles wide by 1,400 miles high by 1,400 miles long. And it really has streets paved with gold and, you know, those kinds of things. That that is God gives us that description and, and those are there. And so... That's the method we talk about. And so when we see in Scripture the timeline, I kind of have to take it from the, that aspect. And so we have a, 
an aspect in Revelation that there's a period of tribulation where the earth is being judged by God. And um, prior to the end of that, the uh, believers are, are in heaven at, from that point in time. At the end of that millennium is what's called the second coming of Christ, and that's his glorious appearing. And that ushers into a time period of a thousand years that Christ physically reigns on earth. Um, that's what uh, Scripture, Mary is promised that he would reign on earth over the house of Jacob and many, many scriptures that, that talk about that. And so again, I take it as being literal. And then we move into an eternal state. So for us, just that timeline, and sometime in there, the new Jerusalem comes down, I think probably hovers over the earth during that thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand year, God makes new heavens and new earths and, um, the, the new Jerusalem is here on earth. And why we kind of believe that is we looked at that scripture in Isaiah that said that um, a couple of different scriptures, but just one that's kind of clear is that uh, people will bring tribute to Jesus, King Jesus on the earth. They will bring tribute to him. The nations will bring tribute to him over the seas. And um, another verse in Isaiah talks about the sea coming from, from the new Jerusalem and splitting part going to the western sea and part going to the eastern sea. And so, well, how, that makes sense, but then we have the that Revelation 21.1 says that in the new heaven and the new earth, there is no more sea. So how can, that, how can those two things exist? Well, because we have a millennial period where the earth is redeemed in a certain sense, but not replaced. And then after a thousand years, it's replaced by Christ. And that, from that period, there's no more sea and the things that we see in Scripture that talk about that. So that's kind of the... The basis, and when we talk about some of the things this week and next week, it kind of becomes important because we have to make the inductive kind of reasoning from the scriptures as to what it means. So, um, did that. Some people had the questions about that, and I wanted to clear it up. But uh, we're talking about a heaven that comes to earth. Right now, there's a intermediate heaven. We see that in Isaiah six, at Revelation five, an intermediate heaven. That's the things are going on. Part one was all about that, what's going on in the intermediate heaven. But ultimately, heaven comes to earth as God comes to dwell with us on the earth. And we are going to spend a little bit of time talking about tonight what that means for us personally. Uh, but I don't want to lose the focus. The focus of the first one was as we started at the back of the theater, of the intermediate heaven, we went from us in the back, if you will, if you will, to Christ at center stage. Um, as we saw the New Jerusalem, as we talked about the New Jerusalem, the center of the New Jerusalem was the throne of Christ, the river of life proceeding from the throne. And so Christ is the focus. Christ is always the focus. And that even when we, when we talk about things, um, we should never have our eyes um, on the gifts of eternal life solely but we need to also have them on the giver of eternal life. And that's where the focus is, is in Christ. And so um, our first verse on your, on your scripture list, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Matthew 7.11, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven 
give good things to those who ask him. And what's the best gift the Father gives us? Is his Son, Jesus Christ. For the Father sent the Son to provide salvation for us. God is a giver of lavish gifts. He's a giver of abundant gifts, of incorruptible gifts, pleasing gifts to us. And they're all God-glorifying gifts because they all go back to him being the provider of those gifts and him redeeming us to be there to receive them. In fact, you have quotes like Luther said, I had rather be in hell with Christ than in heaven without him. And the concept that we've talked about, heaven is where where God is. Heaven is where Christ is. It's, It's a place, but it's where Christ is. Samuel Rutherford, a Presbyterian preacher, said, O my Lord Jesus Christ, if I could be in heaven without thee, it would be a hell. And if I could be in hell and have thee still, it would be heaven to me, for thou art all the heaven I want. And so as we go through these things and we talk about some of the things about us when we talk about heaven, it's still the focus needs to be on Christ. He's the giver of these gifts. And Christ paid for them. On the cross. Our theme verse, John 14, 2 through 3. Jesus says to the apostles, I go and I prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back to receive you, and if it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you. He's going to prepare a place. It's a place that he's going to prepare. It will be different than what we're currently experiencing. It's this mixture of eternal state and um, a redeemed earth, a new earth at some point, a brand new earth. And we have a lot of experience with the physical, but the physical that we have experienced with has fallen. It, the, the ground was cursed because of Adam's sin. And so all the experience we have with the physical is a fallen experience. You have uh, a, a theme of philosophy with Plato that just that the physical is bad. But that isn't what God said. God's, he made the heavens and earth, and it was good. And he made the livestock, and it was good. And he made the earth and it was good. And he made man, and it was good. It was only after that, in the fall, that it became fallen. And so our experience is going to be an experience of a new earth that we don't currently really understand. Uh, We have glimpses. We've talked about them, but we're going to have a few more. We also have experience with the spiritual side. But again, it's a fallen spiritual side. Um, We're spiritually dead until we're regenerated. And um, the verse, Matthew 26, 41, on your listing, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our spirit, even now after being regenerated, our spirit is still in battle with our flesh. And so we don't truly experience the spirit as God would have us experience it in the future in heaven. It's a physical place. We're not just sitting on clouds playing harps or flutes, or whatever else. We're going to talk about that next week, though, because we do. There is music in heaven, so we're going to talk a little bit about that next week. But it is a place that God has created, is creating for us to experience Him in. And in fact, um, there's, a, there's a theological term talk called a beatific vision, and that's the point where we see God face to face. And it's such a beautiful experience. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, 
just as I also am known, is dim now. We have little hints, it's dim, but in the future, we'll see clearly. Matthew 5.8 tells us that blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, that's one of the reasons we can't see clearly right now is, while God has, has given us his righteousness someday yet in the future, he's going to make us righteous, where our, just our being is righteous. Um, Revelation 22.4, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. You're going to be so identified with God that you're going to have his name on your forehead. And as we, we talked about in that, that uh, first session on this, is that he's going to give you a new name. It's a very specific name that God is going to give to you. Just like he renamed Paul, just like he renamed Peter, Abram. He's going to rename you and give you a new name that's between you and him to show the relationship that you have with God, face-to-face, intense. The question that usually comes up about this is when we see God face-to-face, are we going to see the Father? Are we going to see the Holy Spirit? Are we going to just, quote-unquote, and I put those in quotes to people, Jesus, as if that weren't enough? Um, The answer to that is, I'm just going to give what Jesus says. And, um, and it's not on your list. But in John 14, 8 through 9, Philip came to Jesus and he said, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. As if Jesus, it was seen Jesus wasn't enough. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And so, if we see Jesus on the throne in the new Jerusalem, in that temple that is him, then we are going to see the invisible God. Colossians says that. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so, seeing Jesus is going to encompass everything that we will know or experience about God. That's, that's what I read from that scripture. Now, we may see some aspect that uh, encompasses the Father. At, at the baptism, there was a voice um, that came from the Father saying, in, in, this is my son, and in him I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit showed uh, in a, a reflection as a dove. So we may see something like that. But the focus seems to be for us in Jesus Christ. And that when we've seen him, we've seen the Father. We're going to see him face to face, and we're going to live in his house. The John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. We saw, we talked about that, that uh, we're going to have a room in the royal court of the universe. We get to go to the feasts, we get to go to the banquets. We get to do all that encompasses of being in the king's house. Psalm 27.4, One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That desire is going to be fulfilled. Each and every one of us before the throne of God, we'll have this, that we will dwell in the house of the Lord, 
that we will see him, we will behold his beauty, the beatific vision. Sam Storms, the theologian, said this, we will constantly be more amazed with God, more in love with God, and thus ever more relishing his presence and our relationship with him. Our experience with God will never reach its consumption. We will never finally arrive as if reaching a peak that we discover there is nothing beyond. Our experience with God will never become stale. It will deepen and develop and intensify and amplify, unfold and increase and broaden and balloon. Those are, we talk each, we've talked about words that we see when we talk about heaven. You know, intensify, never be, you know, the consummation never occurring, that will never reach a peak, that there's nothing, we're just going to sit there and say, oh, I can't learn anymore, you know, God, God is finite, and so there's nothing I'm going to learn today in heaven, it's all done, nope, God is infinite, and he's always going to be revealing things about himself to us for all eternity, we're going to behold his beauty, and to do that, to be able to achieve that, to be able to see God face to face when we now see dimly, is he has to change us. There's just no question about it. He has to change us. We have, he has to make us pure in heart. He has to do other things, as we'll talk some next week. There's going to be things he has to do to our redeemed, glorified body to exist in that state. But let's talk a little bit about our bodies in the future state of heaven. Realizing that right now we have fallen bodies, we've been redeemed, but we still have the flesh of a fallen nature. So 1 Corinthians 14, 15, 42 and 44, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is a, sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Notice it doesn't say we're spirits. We're going to just be spirits. I mean, there are, right now there are angels probably around us as we're speaking about God. They're spirits. It says a spiritual body. It's going to be something that's different, that has the aspect of spiritual and the aspect of physical body. Um, we don't know because we, have, we haven't experienced that yet, what it's going to be like. But we have hints, right? We have hints. We'll talk about them. One of them is that we're going to be incapable of sinning. Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven. There shall by no means enter it, speaking of the new Jerusalem, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We're incapable of sinning. Temptations cease. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's no temptations. There's no, you're not capable of sinning. That, that's truly amazing. Because even as regenerate believers, every day, I don't know about you, but every day there's something, you know, but we will be incapable of sinning. Able to hold the beauty of the Lord without any temptation. We're going to have restored health. The blind will see. 
Isaiah 29:18 In that day the deaf the deaf shall hear the words of the book and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness the deaf will hear Isaiah 32:3 The eyes of those who see will not be dim and the eyes of those who hear will listen the mute will speak Isaiah 32:4 Also the heart of the rash will understand knowledge and the tongue of the stammerers will be ready to speak plainly. The lame will walk. Micah 4, 6-7 In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame, I will gather the outcast, and those whom I have afflicted, I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on, even forever. So it also tells us the outcasts are going to be made strong. Those who maybe today in this situation we don't want to look upon. The outcasts, he's going to make them strong. I, I mean, I, I know that for myself. I remember the first trip into Sudan in 1998. And we knew that there was a fellow there who had half of his face eaten off by a hyena. And literally half of his, his face was missing. And I just know I as I was thinking about going there, it's just when I meet him, I don't want to react any other way than how Christ would react with him. I would not want to, you know, fear back or anything because I want to represent Christ to this person. The outcasts will be made strong. Never, ever, ever again to get sick. Revelation 22.2 In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Sorry, Doc. You guys are out of a job. <laughs> no more doctors, no more dentists, no more morticians. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, occupations that will no longer be applicable in our eternal state. Never again to experience pain. Revelation 21.4 and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And I take that, that there's also going to be a redeemed brain, you know, that even our thinking, our, our mental processes will be changed, will be affected. I don't know if you've ever, I've had an experience at one time in my life where just for whatever reason, I just got a total influx of oxygen into my brain and fainted just from the pure oxygen that came. And just to know that my normal everyday experience, my brain is suffering from oxygen. That, that there are things that I don't experience as God would have intended because I'm fallen. Our brain will be redeemed in our thinking processes. It's going to be glorious. 1 Corinthians 15.43 it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. Our bodies are raised in glory, they're raised in power. The loved ones that have gone on before us, when we remember them, I think my father, my father will see. Today, he, you know, in his intermediate state, we see, he would be seen as seen, as walking, but in that future state, on a physical earth, on a physical new earth, he'll see, he'll walk, he'll jump, 
he'll run. Our own ailments that we experience, that we may be experiencing tonight, the pains that we're experiencing are gone forever. Literally. You know? And that's that's glorious. That's that in and of itself, the pain that we experience. What age are these bodies gonna be? You know, it's like our our uh, our uh, babies who go on going to be eternally babies in heaven or are older people going to be eternally older or, or so on and um, whatever I don't even know that age is a concept that applies to heaven you know it's our bodies are going to be perfect whatever whatever age or me but some people Thomas Aquinas used to would say that at kind of the the theological is that man's going to be at whatever age his body was perfect. So in the sense of uh, if you could equate an age to Adam, which you can't because he was made, he wasn't made a baby and he grew up. He was made a, you know, a certain as- aspect of age, whatever that may be. Whatever age that was, is, that's the age man will be. And, and people try to quantify that. Thomas Aquinas thought it was about 33 years of age. He thought it was that because that's, at least the viewpoint, that's the age Christ was crucified. And Christ was the perfect sacrifice. He was unblemished. And therefore, he was sacrificed at the highest point of his physical being. Augustine thought it was going to be about 30 years of age. So these are the kinds of age. But whatever it age it is, it's the age where we will be perfect. Those who are young will be older, and those who are older will be younger in the concept. And because there, there's no concept of age which is a you know a fallen nature not a redeemed nature of of what god is going to do second uh, corinthians 5 1 for we know that if our earthly house this tent this body is destroyed we have a building from god a new body a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens and so it's an eternal glorified body Probably the, the biggest hint that we have to it, what it looks like is, what did Jesus look like after he w- was resurrected from the dead? You know, First uh, Corinthians 15.49, And we have borne the image of the man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. What did Jesus do? He walked through walls. He disappeared. He appeared at, you know, in the room with doors closed. He um, defied gravity. He ascended into heaven after his resurrection. He defied gravity while he was, you know, before his resurrection. He walked on water. Um, we're going to have tremendous capabilities in our new bodies. Um, you know, some some think that there's going to be, you know, more senses than we currently experience. That we have to have a new sense to be able to experience God. That's just a pure conjecture. But there's something that we're trying to say is God has to change us to be able to relate to him, to be able to experience that beatific vision, to be able to behold his beauty that right now we can only see dimly. God is going to change us. Often question is, well, you know, will will I still be, you know, Jim Milligan or will I still be, put your name there. And it would seem from scripture that the answer is yes. When we go to the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus is glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration and 
Moses and Elijah are with him. Scripture tells us. But we see the apostles that were there, Peter and John, they knew it was Moses. They knew it was Elijah. It wasn't like they had to be told, you know, Peter, here's meet Moses. Peter, you know, I mean, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were talking, and the apostles knew who they were. There was something about them that they just knew. Who and their identity wasn't lost. They were still Moses. They were still Elijah. So some aspect of our identity still retains with us. We will still recognize those who have gone on before us. We'll know them. If we go back to that, uh, the verse that we read for First uh, Corinthians, where uh, on the face-to-face with God, the very first verse, First Corinthians thirteen twelve. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, that's us and God. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Okay? It's not just that we're gonna you know that we see dimly and we'll see God, but those who see us as I also am known, I will be known. And I'll be known better than I'm currently known because you're going to see the real me, the redeemed me, the changed me, not the fallen me, which is what you mostly see right now. So we are going to be changed, but we'll, we'll know who each other's are, each other is, are, will be, um, what verb to use, what tense to use, I don't know, but uh, we're going to recognize each other. We're going to spend a lot of time together. Um, get that in a few minutes. Uh, we're going to be happy, going to be joyous. It's going to be glorified, which tells us something. Um, when we talk about happy and we talk about being joyous, we have emotion. Again, not just this ethereal spirit up there, just kind of sitting around, not doing anything, whatever. We're going to have emotions. We're going to be happy. Isaiah fifty-one eleven says. So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. It's kind of hard to sing without emotion. You have emotion in your singing. There's something inside of you that wants to sing and praise. With everlasting joy on their heads, they shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Isaiah 52.9 Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people he has redeemed Jerusalem. We're shouting joyfully. Luke 6.21 Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Emotions. Joy. Singing. Laughing. Zechariah 2.10 Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst. Revelation 21.4, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, and the former things have passed away. The joy is in the Lord. There's no more sorrow, but the joy is in Him. There's, there's no more sorrow. Um, we, we here can experience joy and like that be sorrowful. You know, if you've ever, if you're a sports fan and uh, you happen to be a college football fan and UCLA is up with one second to go and they kick off to USC and that 
person feeling the kick runs it back all the way down the field and scores a touchdown. Those in the room who are from UCLA were so joyous at one second to go, <laughs> and now sorrow, right? And um, weeping and gnashing of teeth, yes. Joy can be fleeting in our experience here. In our experience there, joy is continuous. There is no sorrow. It's continuous joy. Joy is in the Lord. The Lord is always there. The Lord isn't leaving. He's always going to be there. Prosperity and security. There's no locks on doors. You know, you don't have to worry. Revelation 21:27. But there shall be no mean there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Prosperity, Micah 4.4, 4, but everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. That typically for me, that Micah 4.4 4 would be a millenn- at least a millennial viewpoint, and he's talk- these are prophecies to the nation of Israel. And, uh, but, what we see here is a, on the on the uh, redeemed earth in the millennial kingdom, people have fig trees, people have orchards. There's prosperity. You're going to invite everybody over. Come on, sit over under the tree. Let's eat. Let's sup together. For the Lord is good, and He's given all things. So that leads right into one of the most, the second most often question, probably in, in, that's kind of other than talking about God, about some of the ancillary things, and that's food, right? Is there going to be food in heaven? Well, you know, with all respect to Pastor Jeff as a chef, and we enjoy his food all kinds of times around here, but let's read about Isaiah 25.6, speaking again of the millennial kingdom. And in this mountain... The Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. What's important about this is who's preparing it. The Lord is going to prepare it, right? The great chef, the Lord, he's going to prepare for us a feast, and it's a feast of his choice pieces aren't, you know, choice grade A here on earth. They're going to be something we don't understand, we don't know. The marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19.9, again, a millennial feast. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true saints of God. It's a marriage supper, a feast of God and his bride. Luke 6.21 Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And so we see a feast where, am I going to get enough to eat? Well, you don't have to worry about that. You're going to be satisfied. Zechariah 3.10. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. So, Feasts, banquets, eating, but in celebrating our Lord and celebrating fellowship with each other, 
figs jubilee, if you will, you know, got fig trees and, and uh, vines. Um, is there going to be bacon and tri-tip? Uh, maybe in the millennial kingdom, because there's still death in the millennial kingdom. Um, going forward, the Lord can provide something more sumptuous, uh, and that would be the right word if uh, 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 probably something better than, than we can think. But again, let's look at the words. Satisfied. Filled. Invite. We're seeing, we're seeing a picture of just, of, you know, there's no more Weight Watchers food kind of stuff. I mean, this is, this is sumptuous stuff. Um, we're going to invite people. We're going to fellowship together. Now, one thing kind of think, some always was encouraged, think of that, uh, that marriage supper of the Lamb or these millennial feasts that you're going to be sitting the Lord's going to be at the head of the table, if whatever that looks like. And uh, someone always encouraged me. You know, if be coming from the business world way back when, is like if if I were invited to go to dinner with um, you know my favorite author or something somehow, whatever that a human author of, of something, what, and he had just published a book. You know, you'd be encouraged in business or just whatever is to read that book before you go to the dinner, so you would have something to talk about with them. So I was always, I was kind of encouraged as, you know, you're going to be sitting with Moses, and you're going to be sitting with David, and you're going to be sitting with Paul. Might be good to know the book that they've written, and so it's always occurred to read and, you know, Paul, tell me about those shipwrecks. I mean, wow, how what happened? You know, or. Uh, whatever it might be. Most, what was it like to walk through the Red Sea? Um, explain it, you know. Uh, things like that. We're, gonna, we're going to be fellowshipping together. We're going to be fellowshipping with Daniel. Tell me about those lions. Um, things of that nature. We have all eternity to enjoy these feasts and these banquets. And so food, definitely. There's no question. There's food. Um, and then the next one, what we'll end tonight with is is the one I'm sure you've heard if you're a parent is are there animals in heaven right are there animals is my pet spot going to be there are there animals there and so let's look at scripture let's and this one's um, revelation nineteen eleven now I saw the heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Verse 14, And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. This is, this is a, uh, from Revelation 19, is the, the second coming of Christ to the earth. And he's saying to his redeemed in heaven, Get on your horses, we're going to go take over. I'm coming back, you're coming with me, let's go get on your white horses. So what? Well, we got white horses. If you remember from Revelation 5, around the throne, we had four creatures, four living creatures. Um, we had one that looked like an eagle, one that looked like a calf, one that looked like a man, one that looked like a lion, I think. Ox. Ox. Creatures around the throne of God. I mean, these creatures are there, and all they do is worship God, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. God seems to like animals. Uh, he made animals and they were good. 
it says. Um, Isaiah 30, this is, I agree, this is, a, as we said, a millennial, but it's uh, Isaiah 30, 23 through 24, and then he will give the rain for your seed with which you sow the ground and the bread of the increase of the earth. It will be fat and plentiful. In that day, your cattle will feed in large pastures. Likewise, the oxen and the young donkeys that work the ground will eat cured fodder, which has been winnowed with the shovel and the fan. That one, at least in the millennial sense, we have cattle, oxen, and donkeys. Isaiah 61.5, Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. So we have flocks of something, sheep or who knows what, but we have livestock. Isaiah 11.6-9, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. It shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be, the, shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea." And finally, Isaiah 66:20. Then they shall bring all your, your brethren for an offering to the Lord out of all nations on horses and in chariots and in litters, on mules and on camels to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Lord. So we've got a wolf, a lamb, a leopard, a young goat, fatling, calf, lion, cow, bear, cobra, Camels, horses, and they all exist in harmony. That isn't, this is one of those verses to sit there and say, well, how, why do you believe in a millennial reign? Well, that doesn't exist today. Okay. Um, and in other verses where it talks about people dying in that time period, that's not going to exist in the eternal state because people don't die in the eternal state. So there's a period of time. And in this period of time, we have animals. Now, they're not, um, the qu still doesn't answer the question, is pet spot going to be there? Because we don't really know from an eternal state, from that point forward after the thousand years, all we can do is make an inductive reasoning. God seems to love animals. God, as we talked about that first session, God, when, on the Discovery Channel, when, you got, when they go into the depths of the ocean and they see all these fish, these beautiful fish that man has never seen, because they live in the depths of the ocean. God made those for his pleasure. Man has never seen them until now. So God has, loves this diversity of the animal kingdom. But I'm not so sure pet spot is necessarily there, because that implies a redeem, redeemed kind of soul or spirit or so on. But if you need pet spot to be there, to be happy in heaven, pet spot will be there. you know. Um, or more than likely, God will just be able to make you happy with himself and what he's provided. But the answer to the question is, at least for a thousand years, we're going to have animals running around, all kinds of them, camels and horses. And some of them you're going to get to ride from heaven to earth as we begin to experience the things of heaven and the things of our eternity. But again, all these things are the, the gift of God. They're all 
gifts that he's given us, they're all, we're, when we talk, when we see that, that man is going to, at least for this period of time, be able to not just see God face to face, but interrelate with God's creation in a way he never has been able to with animals, with, with, you know, the, the food that's growing out of uh, the land. And so God is giving us a picture of, of uh, the good gifts that he's going to give us. And um, next week we're going to kind of come to our conclusion and we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about ruling and reigning with Christ. And we're going to talk about rewards, uh, at least at a minimum. So we're going to end, end our series on heaven with that and... Uh, Hopefully, walk away praising God and being thankful for all that He's given us. And so, let's let's do that right now, and let's just pray and give Him thanks for what He's promised. And uh, if you will, just join me in prayer. Prayer. Lord, we thank you that uh, tonight, as we've seen these verses, many, many, many verses in heaven that tell us about our our future bodies that are not going to be racked with disease or pain. that uh, for all eternity they're going to be as strong as we something we've never experienced lord we we thank you that we're going to feast with you for all eternity we're going to fellowship with each other that there's going to to be a time of, of total worship and lord as we we look next week into some of the things we're going to do there in heaven so what, what are you going to have us do? We just, again, want to know that you are the focus of all these things. It's not about our bodies. It's about you being there. And we thank you. We praise you, Lord, that uh, you have prepared this place for us. And uh, just help us now as we go through this part of eternity and our eternal life that you have given us to, uh, to make it through the pain and the sorrow and the temptation and these things that we experience that one day will all be gone. And we thank you for that. We believe you because you said it to be true. These aren't just uh, figures of speech that have no meaning. They are true. And we thank you. Amen.